Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. What's up? Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online, supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. I love it when Michael Borky leads the rundown with a sentence like this. Need five hours for today's show. Where should we begin? Well, we'll begin right here. You can be a part of the program on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, C Spire, customer inspired. I'm Richard Cross. Michael Borky just mentioned him. Brian Haydad is in Starkville. Rippy's actually in Jackson with Borky today as well. Fellas, what's up? Borky, how was your weekend? Weekend was good. Actually got to do yard work, which is uh, really like my escape, you know? Like yeah, some I'm people like you. to go to the beach or stuff. I like to just go do work in the yard. We finally didn't have any rain, so I got a lot of yard work done, watched a ton of baseball, and Haydad's Lakers broke my heart last night. Overall, pretty Woo-hoo. good weekend. Yeah, consecutive days of sunshine, not a bad thing. Hey, did you did you stick it uh, with it all the way through yesterday for Zion versus LeBron, or were you uh, disposed with the women's basketball? Uh, gosh, yeah, I, I got home and had a podcast to do, so I didn't get to see much of that game. But that said, I saw who won. <laughs> and that's enough? That's all I needed to see, brother. There you, you missed go. a hell of a game, though. I'll bring it yeah. up in winners and losers because, I mean, that – LeBron James last night, I mean, Zion's been great. He was great again last night. For 19 years old, he's been spectacular. But LeBron James last night was basically like, hey, kid, you're the future, uh, but I'm still the right now, and here's how you do it. He was awesome again. There was some discussion after the fact about LeBron talking to Zion and, uh, you know, Zion even, or excuse me, LeBron talked about it after the game was over saying, look, the people that say, you know, I'm supposed to be locked in as a competitor. You know, tell them to that they can kiss my you-know-where. Uh, so you had that piece of it. But then there are other people going, why does LeBron think he's like the guardian of the game and has to be, well, this is what you've got to do and how you carry the NBA forward. I think LeBron James has kind of gotten to the point in his career where it doesn't really matter what he says. About half the people are not going to like it. I believe the technical term for that is haters going to hate. yes yes that is uh, incredibly technical you can't hate on his game right now i mean all all the off-court stuff sure and and i do like the china thing this summer was embarrassing but on the court he's spectacular still at 35 did he literally pull up from 40 feet last night dude literally Pulled up from 40 feet. And after Zion had such an incredible dunk, like he just bullied Kyle Kuzma and just one hand jammed on his face to take a lead. And like the the stadium is nuts. Like that was a big momentum swing because the Pelicans were playing really sloppy and Zion gets his dunk and they take the lead and LeBron just goes just past half court and drains a 40-footer. It was that kind of game though. If those two 
are the playoff 1-8 seed, it would be five games or less probably of really compelling basketball, though. Yeah, yeah, that would uh, that would certainly be fun. I mean, you you hear three point line extended, and okay, the you know five feet beyond the arc is the new three because of Steph Curry. This took it to an entirely different level. This was not shot clock winding down. This was not end of quarter, end of half, end of game. It was LeBron just walking into a forty foot three and pulling up. And he's not like the best three point shooter ever, but if you watch him when he shoots that ball, he 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 felt real good about that one, <laughs> real good about that one. Rippy, how was your weekend? Pretty good, pretty good. Didn't do a ton. I mean, I covered the game Saturday and then was going to play golf, but I kind of, the group disbanded Sunday, so I didn't do a ton. Weren't you going to get up early and play on Saturday morning also? Yes. uh, That was a game time decision at best, and it didn't happen. I hear you. Must have been a big Friday night. So uh, we got a bunch to get to with uh, with you. (laughs) Just a little editorial comment there. I said game time decision. I didn't say what, but I'm not saying you're inaccurate or accurate. Yes, yes. Uh, no need to uh, to incriminate yourself. We got a lot of baseball to get to this afternoon. We've got a lot of basketball to get to this afternoon. Uh, kind of kind of dueling storylines here a- as well. Um, really in both directions. Ole Miss baseball off to a better start than anybody I think predicted they would be through the first three weekends of the season, and Ole Miss basketball wrapping up a year in which they have achieved below a level than I think anybody really thought they were going to. Flip side of things, expectations sky high for Mississippi State baseball coming into the year. Ton of time to go on the road against the top 25 team opposite side of the country, but a week overall to forget for Mississippi State baseball and Mississippi State basketball is saying, look, damn it, pay attention to us. Brian Haydad, the season is not over. Stop writing our obituary. We're not dead yet. They win again on Saturday. I, I, I didn't write an obituary. I just, I just, you know. oh, oh, after they lost to Ole Miss by 25, you were so mad and so upset and so throw your hands in the air frustrated. Forget about it. They're done. If they're lucky, they're in the NIT. I think you bought a tombstone. That was a tombstone pizza. It was different. I watched a bunch of that game, actually, because it was on right after I got home from the Ole Miss game. And, like, Missouri didn't hand it to them either. They played pretty well for the most part. State just when they had – like, Missouri kept making pushes, and when State had to have a basket or a good possession, they got it on, like, six different occasions. Yeah. Yeah, it was was a a close, tight game. Went back and forth. State, I think, got up by as much as 11 uh, in the second half. Missouri kept chopping into it. But you're right. When State had to get buckets, they, they were able to find a way. Tyson Carter was a big part of that. He, he really was, and the seniors played well down the stretch, coming off a pretty good ma- uh, game at home. And so, you know what we've got? We've got another critically important game for Mississippi State as they're going to go on the road to South Carolina. They're not quite in the field of 68 yet, according to Joe Lenardi, but they have get, gotten a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer, and now they are first in the, uh, the category of first four out. Well, it's Groundhog Day again. That's what this is. It's this, the last four weeks. It's just been well. They got to win these games, and then maybe they can move up. And only one. This is it. This is the last two games before the SEC tournament. So if they if they're going to win these games, and then maybe they can move up again and, and finally you know get into the field. That can't this, change though, right? Because Lenardi has the team's leading conferences as AQs, and that doesn't mean they're necessarily going to win the tournament. It's so like a Tulsa and a UCLA or something like that who are not projected as tournament teams. 
leading the American and leading the Pac-12, and I'm sure there's one or two others, are shrinking the number of at-large bids yeah. currently at the moment, right? Like that's – like people say bracketality is basically scientific. At the moment, it's not, right? Correct. Yeah, you, you never know what's going to happen. And there will be upsets in conference tournaments that take away spots uh, just because that's how it always happens. So – State, you know, Howland said today he thought that State was in control of its own destiny. I don't know if I 100% agree with that, but I, I would say this. If State can win out, win the two games this week, go to Nashville, where they might be a top-four seed and get a double bye. As of today, might they are. Them. And that might not help them. They might need to win two games. <laughs> and they're talking about having to win Friday, Saturday hey, instead hey, of hey, Thursday, hey, Friday. Hey, hey, you got to stop, man. I, I understand what, what Joe Lenardi tells us, and I, and I know he does this for a living. If Mississippi State wins two more games – if they win against South Carolina on Tuesday night and they win at home against Ole Miss on Saturday afternoon, they don't mm-hmm. even have to go to Nashville. Okay? You think they're in? Yes. Okay. I don't know if I agree with that. Well, you're wrong. Well, I'll be. <laughs> yeah, just don't, don't even show up. Just rest for a week and a half and get ready. Um, <laughs> I, I get where you're coming from on this. I just don't see – and let me correct myself. I said first of the first four out. They're actually fourth of the first four out right now. Yeah. Uh, NC State, Richmond, and Rhode Island currently all in front of Mississippi State. Um, y- you know, it, it does show you that there's not much margin for error. That There's None. really not much margin for None. error. Over the last two games of the uh, of the regular season, two monster games coming up for the uh, for the Bulldogs. So uh, again, Borky, a bunch to get to this afternoon. Why don't we roll things out with the poll question, and then we will uh, dive into baseball when we come back, and then kind of transition into a basketball conversation. Scott Barry is going to join us this afternoon. We'll have Mike Bianco live at the end of the show earlier today. Brian. Hey, Dad, uh, chatted with Chris Lamonis. We'll play, play that conversation for you. It's what we do on Mondays during baseball season that is now three weekends old. So what, Michael Borky, is the poll question today? The poll questions, we got two Talk. of them. Uh, Ole Miss baseball is blank, you expected. Better than, as good as, or worse than. Same question for Mississippi State. Are they better than you expected, as good as you expected, or worse. Early voting, as you can imagine, very heavy, better than for Ole Miss, very worse than for Mississippi State. And of course, you've got the trolls in both directions saying that Ole Miss is worse than you expected, and vice versa. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, anything below, what, 90% in the top category for Ole Miss and the bottom category for Mississippi State is just fake, right? You could make a case for what I expected if you were had low expectations, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess so. Uh, I guess that's, uh, that is possible. Just getting started. I think we're going to have a good time with you this afternoon. You can keep up with everything on Sports Talk Mississippi by following us on Twitter. Search at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. Let's dive into the baseball weekend. We will dissect Ole Miss in Greenville, North Carolina, getting a sweep. Well, not really a sweep, but three wins against three different teams over the course of of three days. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. We'll be right back. Is that an old school version of Blitz Creek Bob? It is, yeah. Where did you find that? Buried deep in our system under Gallows hey, files. Oh, that that go. is decidedly hey, not the version oh, that made it to jock jams. <laughs> Good to be with you this afternoon at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. So let's start the baseball conversation. We'll spend, uh, oh, the better part of the next hour 
in uh, in that particular area. Let's talk first about uh, Ole Miss, who uh, moved into the top ten of the D1 baseball poll, which means a grand total of absolutely nothing at this point in the year, other than uh, that you played well so far this season. And Rippy Ole Miss has played well and continued to play well this weekend. Let's go big picture thoughts, and then we'll make it a little more micro. The starting rotation has been better than advertised. I mean, I, I would say much better. Derek Diamond looked the part again. I think the story of the weekend from that perspective is probably Gunnar Hoagland just looks like a completely different human being. I mean, whether it's from demeanor or confidence or his actual stuff, the, we talked about the slider last week, the fastball looks completely different. And, like, this curveball, okay. But, I mean, if you have those two and throwing it with the confidence he does, I'm not sure it matters. And so if that version of him is real, then I think the ceiling for this team completely changes. And I don't really have much belie- much reason to believe so far that it's not because of the way he's getting guys out and the lineups he's doing it against. They lose the season opener to, to Louisville, 7-2, to two, and since then have won 10 in a row. The, the thing to me that's fascinating right now about Ole Miss is you can look at them and go, okay, well, the, the weekend rotation is really good. It's really solid. But when you look at team pitching numbers, the numbers don't necessarily blow, necessarily blow you away. Team batting average doesn't blow you away. But they're getting good starting pitching – good enough pitching out of the bullpen, and they are absolutely blasting the ball out of the ballpark at a nationally elite pace. They're second in the entire country with 21 home runs through 11, uh, through 11 games. Yeah, I mean, if you're a nerd, like this team is becoming very palatable for you. They strike out a bunch. They hit the ball out of the ballpark. I mean, you mentioned batting average, but I mean, I don't know how many examples you need to have. I mean, Kel Baker has a 194 average, but an 896 OPS. He's got eight walks, which is second on the team. Slugging percentage is still okay. He's hitting the ball over the fence. Like, OBP's 340. Like, if you're like, this is a very much a, a, I don't want people to construe this the wrong way, but if you're talking about the way your average major league lineup is working and how they drive in runs and what their value and don't value, this team is molding much closer to that than your co- than some of your typical college teams. Like, you know, what they've struck out 109 times in 11 games, right? 10 and 1? Yeah, 10 and 1, 11 21 games. 21 home runs, still 77 <laughs> runs driven in. Like a team OPS of 841. I it it It's... It's very much what you're seeing starting to filter down from the professional level. And that's not a comparison or anything. It's just a team that you're not – like the way they're driving and runs and the way they're producing is not necessarily conventional for Mike Bianco. But it's also – I mean, Borky and I were talking about earlier today, you're seeing fewer sack bunts. Like there's rumors of embracing more analytics, and I'm not saying they've gone like sold out to it because I do think there's a place for it in a 60-game season as a tool but not necessarily a map. And I think you're starting to see that. I don't think any of that is an accident. This is year 20 for Mike Bianco. Okay, we argued whether it was 19, 20, or 21 for like 15 minutes today. <laughs> not a math guy. I cannot remember that. Thank we said, you, hold year on, 20. it's been about two <laughs> yes. decades. Year 20 for Mike Bianco. With everything that you just said, this team looks different than any of the other teams he has ever coached at Ole Miss. Agreed? Sure. Yeah, sure, in any facet you want to talk about it. I mean, like, physically as well. I mean, yeah, yes, okay, physique with, you know. I'm Kale just Baker saying that's another Dan layer Cleave of it whatnot. you might not think about. 
That's a good point. Why? My question is, why after 20 years does this happen? And obviously it's working for them, so it's a good change, but it, the people use the word stale all the time because it feels like every year the team's kind of the same. The, the program's the same. Even the stuff they do in the stadium at games is the same. If you've been to an Ole Miss game two years ago, it's the same thing today. They're still, least, running, they're still running solo cups, and they're still waving arms to love is gone. Exactly. It's, Yellow cup still hasn't won, by the way. Right. Which they should change the yellow cup to white and grab three drunk students in the outfield and let them run. But that's a different conversation. My, my point is, it's been 20 years, and people use the word stale because even though they win, like it's a good product. People talk about, oh, Mike Bianco and whatever. It's a very good product. It's a good team every year. They win. They host regionals. It's a very good product. But it's always the same. Why, after two decades, is it now strikingly different? And they may win, they may host a regional, they may not, but the approach to to the building of this roster feels different. Why, after 20 years, is that the case? I don't know the answer to that, but there might be a story to be ha- to be done there. But just off pure speculation, it's just, and I don't know if this is intentional completely, I don't know if it was unintentional, but they have a bunch of dudes that are built to comprise an offense like this. I mean, a Kale Baker, Tyler Keenan... Tim Elko, I mean, even Kevin Graham, even though they really only trust him against one side of pitching, like one type of arm, uh, it seems like so far he hits the ball over the fence. Ben Van Cleve hits the ball over the fence. He even knocks Laposter in the few opportunities. I think he has like two home runs and six at-bats. Hayden Leatherwood type of thing. It's just a bunch of guys that are built that way. Again, don't know if it's completely on purpose. I bet it's not completely an accident, but this team is just built for the way they're producing. Like, it's almost like well, in basketball when you that. just get five dudes that play well together, like kind of like the Oklahoma City Thunder. In a day and age where basketball, you play all different kinds of ways. They're just a traditional team, and they're extremely good at what they do. Like Ole Miss, it's weird to make a baseball-basketball comparison, but in terms of just molding and being good at what you do and how you do it, this team is kind of starting to find an identity very quickly. Rippy, I was going to ask you if you thought the construction of this roster and the way they're playing was intentional. I don't know. I, I don't know that. I, I like, and I, I don't want to like speculate anymore and call him a mad scientist or a genius or say it was all dumb luck. I imagine it's somewhere in the middle, but I, I don't know. It can be a complete accident. But there's also something to, and maybe I'm just making stuff up here, but a bunch of these like like that prior top rated class that came in, they to me at times, particularly in the 19 season after the whole Black Monday deal, kind of felt the weight of. You know everything that happened, and even postseason, you know failures, unsuccesses, whatever you want to call it, even that happened before them. And this team is a bunch of kids comprised mostly out of state. They're all young. They have this kind of confidence, almost like a little bit of a not an fu attitude, but a little bit of a swagger, however you want to call it. All those buzzwords, and they seem to be freely and seem they don't care. Whereas last year, you saw that at the end of the season where they had to make a change about how they went about things. To me, this just seems like who a bunch of these kids are, if that makes any sense. Like, there's no change to be had. There's no change to be made. 6-2 to two on Friday. They beat High Point. It was an early game. We talked about that uh, on Friday afternoon. The, the game that everybody had circled going into the weekend, and it's not because of Cliff Godwin. I mean, I guess if you had wanted to make that the story because his name got bounced around by people who are like, oh, you got to go get Cliff Godwin and Mike Bianco, blah, 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 blah. So maybe there's some people that were watching for that reason. And if East Carolina had won or had won convincingly, maybe they get, you know, there's fuel that's thrown on that fire. But that didn't happen. Ole Miss won 2-1 to one 
in you know, I mean, if you like offensive baseball, maybe that was offensive to you, but it was a really good game. East Carolina took a one to nothing lead in the bottom of the first. Ole Miss got two runs in the top of the second, and that was it. Run was unearned in the first two, if I'm not mistaken. I missed the first couple of innings coming back from work, but yeah. And, and the other thing that, that's a little crazy about this, Ole Miss overcame three errors. I mean, that, that's that's another thing about this Ole Miss team. They've not been – not just not great. They haven't been all that good defensively at times, and yet they're still winning against good teams. Would agree there, too. Some of that will probably – like, you can't keep making errors at that rate, particularly as you get into SEC play and then not eventually come back to bite you. But they've dodged it so far. And then yesterday, a 9-5 to win over, I think, a pretty good Indiana team. Anthony Servideo, 2-for-5, scored a couple of runs. Tyler Keenan had a huge week back in his home state of North Carolina. He was 4-for-4 four four with two driven in and two runs scored yesterday. Uh, Justin Bench drove in a couple of runs. Kevin Graham hit a two-run home run late in the ball game uh, that really gave Ole Miss some, uh, some breathing room at the end. And again, maybe a better offensive day yesterday for Ole Miss. Nine runs, ten hits, and got five innings out of their starter, Derek Diamond. Um, what, gave up back-to-back home runs? Or, or, well, gave up two home runs in the fourth inning, and that's all he gave up in five innings of work. Which has kind of been a theme, right? I mean, he had the solo home run against Xavier, which was pretty much all the – no, it was all the damage, and this two home runs back-to-back against Louisville. Or maybe not back-to-back, whatever it was. I think it may have been. Like, his mistakes are fairly harmless, have been fairly harmless. Things went a little sideways for Ole Miss in the sixth inning. They gave up, gave up three runs, used a couple of pitchers in uh, Benji Gilbert and uh, Logan Savelle, but uh, Taylor Broadway and Braden Forsythe came in, finished it off. And Braden Forsythe, uh, who has been really good, now has four saves on the year, is named Co-SEC Pitcher of the Week for the week that he had. Sports Talk Mississippi, Scott Berry will join us now. It's a pretty good week for Southern Miss in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Talk to the head coach of the Golden Eagles when we come back. This time every Monday during baseball season, we visit with the head coach of the Southern Miss Golden Eagles, Scott Berry, on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Golden Eagles yesterday wrapped up a busy week. Five games started on Tuesday, then played four over the weekend in Lake Charles. Went three and two on the week, nine and three overall, won three out of four this weekend in Lake Charles and uh, Maybe the most impressive part of the weekend was when Walker Powell was on the mound. He earned Conference USA Pitcher of the Week honors. Scott, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. How good was Walker Powell on Friday? You know, Richard, he was uh, he was really good. I mean, he uh, he filled up the zone. I don't think he got into a three ball count until the seventh inning. Uh, I mean, it was a high percentage of strike one and getting ahead and, and keeping everything in his favor, but. You know, I think just uh, defining pitching uh, is exactly what he did. He used both sides of the plate. He had his secondary really working well, and uh, you know, virtually at any point in any count, he could uh, he could throw any pitch for a strike. So, against a pretty good, uh, you know, numbers wise, um, McNeese team coming in. So at their park, and it plays small anyway. So. Uh, to shut them out, and um, after what they did to us yesterday, was even made it more impressive of, of what Walker's performance was. 
In terms of how you've got your rotation put together, do you, do you anticipate kind of keeping it this way, or do you think you'll kind of move things around a little bit with as as well as Walker has pitched? Well, well, you know, right now we're just kind of experimenting. I know the first three weekends we've used the same thing. This weekend we'll be without Shepard. He's got a little tendonitis in the, in the back of his shoulder, so had him evaluated today. Uh, had some discomfort on Friday in that first game against Valparaiso, and pitch count got up there pretty high. So uh, doctor said he's got some tendonitis. We're going to let that calm down through the weekend. So we'll certainly have to – to maneuver some things around going into this week and how that affects the following week or first week in a conference, I'm not really sure. But, uh, you know, certainly Walker is the anchor of the staff there. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe we move him uh, maybe move him to Friday on that opening weekend just to buy, buy uh, Gabe an extra day of rest as well. So when you're talking about tendonitis issues, and, and that's something that, you know, people – in all walks of life deal with but when you're talking about with the pitcher and, and it being in the shoulder is it something where you just rest is there rehab specific to that that you can do to try and get back quicker what, what's the how does that work well i think the first thing you know he, he did get a cortisone shot there today to just calm that area down and try to get that inflammation main thing is is just let that area kind of calm itself for a couple of days, and then we'll start with the rehab where he'll be stretching with our trainer and trying to do some therapy with him to get him back and, and get that get that area back strengthened like it should be. Uh, and, you know, he's a, he's a really strong kid. He rehabbed well with his uh, Tommy John when he had it in high school. So, you know, I think that uh, – I think this is just a little setback. More than anything, I think moving forward is just kind of give him a little peace to know that it's nothing, uh, you know, structural – uh, in there, and that is just a, a little small case of, of tendonitis. Scott Berry on your radio head baseball coach at Southern Miss. They win three out of four in late Charles. Coach, we've talked about this before. You've been around two ba- around baseball too long to, to let yesterday happen. You're, you're supposed to let that game happen on Friday or Saturday and then get that good feeling on Sunday for the bus ride back home. <laughs> yeah, I know it, but it didn't work out. I'll tell you, I was listening for trash can lids and everything else over there. <laughs> It literally, uh, you know, everything, uh, everything we threw, they, uh, they pretty much barreled up. So, you know, I, I guess, you know, good, good McNeese team. They didn't take, take lightly us run ruling them, uh, Saturday night Walker's game. And, uh, they returned the favor yesterday, obviously. But, you know, our guys for, for a while, they really, they hung in there. They punched back, but it just became, uh, too much for us there. And, and, uh, as, as the game, game got a little deeper. I know you were joking about trash cans, but I am curious when, oh, yeah. when, when you're talking about sign-stealing in college baseball. The, the Major League Baseball story is, is so far out there because of the technology and the video piece that, that's used and the replays and all of the layers that go along with this. But we've talked about on, on the show over and over and over, going back to you know 10-year-old baseball, you have sign-stealing as kind of part of the game. How much of that do you think goes on in college baseball? Well, I think so. I mean, I think if you can, uh, if you can, particularly tipping pitches, you know, whether it's uh, the pitcher and the grips out of the glove or glove position or whatever he does, maybe he flares a finger on a fastball and, and he doesn't on, on a breaking ball. We're always looking for things like that. If you're a runner at second, 
you know, you're trying to pick up something from the catcher signs. I think where it crosses the line, obviously, is when you start using cameras and electronics and you got people that are sitting inside trying to decode everything and relaying it out there, then obviously that's, that's not good for our sport and that's not what the sport's all about. Do you do self-scouting, especially with your pitchers, to, to try and see if there's any sort of a tell or any sort of a tip that, that they are allowing? Or do you only look at that after an outing where maybe things didn't go as well as you wanted it to? No, I think, you know, you do have you do have friends in the in the coaching profession that after you play them and they, you know, you're pretty much sure that you're not going to play them anymore, that certainly you want to help them and, and you want them to win every game out. And if they have something and you have a good relationship, then, you know, we usually share that information with each other. You know, hey, he was tipping this or, or we were getting, you know, your catcher was setting up late uh, or too early, I should say, and, those sort of things. So, uh, you know, I think there's 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 certain some people out there that help help you with stuff like that. How have scouting reports evolved in college baseball in, in terms of the level of detail, the information you get, and how you go about getting that information? Well, you know, in the old days we would get it off the phone or we would have a report sent, but there's a new system out there, technology called Synergy, that uh, just right. about every Division One program in the country subscribes to where people are breaking down the opponents' pitchers, their hitters through through electronics and through video. So synergy has kind of opened that door, and and it's kind of interesting that you say that has also opened the door for uh, picking. You know, uh, is is the pitcher tipping things? Is the catcher? You know, are you decoding some things with signs? So uh, it's it's really not far off. From what you uh, you know, we heard about with the Astros. Other than it's not happening during the game, sure, it's happening in the scouting work and and the breakdown of film prior to any game. So, so do you have one staff member that is responsible for putting together all scouting reports, or is it scouting reports for a specific weekend? How does that work? No, I've got one guy. I've got one assistant that that's his job is to to compile all the information now. Coach Creel, who uh, who works with the hitters, he obviously breaks down the the opposing pitcher and pitchers with synergy as well as as well as Coach Ostrander, our pitching coach, will break down the hitters. But overall, putting that on paper would be Coach Rhodes, uh, my other assistant, that's responsible for that. Scott, would you have believed that we would have gotten to this point in college baseball? No, I mean, I, I really. I, it's just kind of, and it really, Richard, it has really evolved very, very quickly. I mean, in the last just three, four years. Really? It seems like things have just absolutely exploded and sped up. And, of course, when you talk about the professional scouts, uh, of course, they're all feared for their jobs because of all the analytics and, and the people that they're hiring to, to break down uh, uh, all, all the baseball numbers and, and you know, who, what this lineup needs to be against this guy and, and even the scouting numbers, you know, with, with, uh, with scouting and evaluation, they're using a lot of, uh, a lot of film and, and video and synergy and track man and all that stuff. So this game has really gotten fast quickly as far as that goes. Well, it certainly is uh, is fascinating stuff. Final thing for you, give me a thought on Charlie Fisher. He started all 12 games so far, hitting just a notch below uh, 400 on the season, a couple of home runs, five extra base hits in addition to the home runs. Uh, what, what's made him so good so far? You know, I think just his, his diligent work to go out every day and prepare for a game, 
uh, and that starts in the weight room, too. He takes the weight room very serious. He's transformed his body into a uh, kind of a pudgy kid, in all honesty, to now a real firm, sound baseball body. His, his athleticism has, has increased. It still needs to increase more, but you know, he's DH'd in all 12 of those games, uh, right or left-hander, and has really held his own, Richard. So, you know, I think he's just a young man that is understanding and, and gaining concept of who he is as a hitter and what his swing has got to do to be successful. Just a sophomore, six feet, one hundred and eighty-five pounds, hitting three ninety-five on the year so far. Scott, as always, thank you for your time. Really interesting stuff today, and uh, look forward to visiting with you next Monday. Thank you, Richard. Me too. Scott Berry, head baseball coach at Southern Miss. They uh, won three of four in Lake Charles this weekend, beat Valparaiso twice, and then split with McNeese. Kind of strange on the scoreboard front, where they ten-run rule McNeese State, and then they turn around and get ten-run ruled the uh, the very next day. Man, that was good stuff from Scott Barry, Borky. A little trash can joke in there as well. Beautiful tra- trash can joke. But Smooth. then once we got past that, the synergy stuff, the role of video in college baseball, I'm not even sure I knew that it involved, had evolved quite that much. Take a quick time out. We will wrap up the 3 o'clock hour of the show with you after this break. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi and supertalk.fm. That's well established, right? I think so. So today, I am joining you from the conference room of Tweed Recording in Athens, Georgia. Tweed used to be based in uh, in North Mississippi, in Oxford. Uh, a good friend of mine, Andrew Ratcliffe, uh, started that company uh, several years ago. They made a move a couple of years ago to Athens. Uh, I've got a historic building in downtown Athens that takes up an entire, well, a section of an entire city block, like front to back. Completely restored this old building, state-of-the-art uh, recording studio, opening a recording academy. Really cool setup. But as I sit here in the recording, or in the uh, conference room, to my left on the wall, a framed album cover with the album kind of halfway out of it, the Hello, I'm Johnny Cash autographed. That's on, on one wall. Ooh. On the wall opposite me, framed autographed Bob Dylan picture. Uh, Chuck Berry framed autographed. And then right outside the door to the conference room, side by side, encased in glass, a Paul McCartney autographed electric guitar and an entire Rolling Stones band autographed electric guitar, including the tongue out painting sticker up in kind of the upper right-hand corner. You could probably just grab that on your way out, and they wouldn't notice for a few hours, get a good head start. You, you think? And maybe an hour. 45 minutes tops, yeah. <laughs> yeah tops. Uh, really, really cool setup, and uh, appreciate them setting me up this afternoon. So, uh, neat spot. Uh, neat spot with you. Hey, Dad, Rippy, as you guys listen to uh, to Scott Berry, did you know all about that or, or all of those things that he was talking about with regard to scouting reports and how they go about putting them and just how much video is used at this point in college baseball? Not all at once, guys. I mean, I knew it had kind of ratcheted up in the last half decade, maybe not to that level. 
Yeah. I, I knew all about it. No, I didn't. I didn't know that much about it. I did know that you know, taking the, the tour of Duty Noble, we got to take uh, last year, and you see all the equipment that they have in there as far as you know what they're doing for swings and for pitchers. I mean, it's just like any sort of anything else now. You know, it's a, the the technology that you can use technology for good or evil, I guess, in in baseball. And uh, you know, that's an example of how you're using it to to better your players. Yeah. Um, you know, synergy has been a big part of college basketball for uh, for a long time. But you you think about more college basketball being available just because all the games are on television, and it's I don't think it's coincidental that the evolution of video scouting has gotten to the point that it has that goes along with the evolution of games of you know baseball games readily available uh, on TV online. I mean, the video is out there. And now you've got a company that's kind of aggregating all of it and making it available. The really cool thing, though, about Synergy is the searches that you can do. You know, it's it's you don't just have to sit down and watch a game and go, oh, I want to watch, you know, Ole Miss against Southern Miss. Well, let me sit down and watch it for the next three hours and kind of go through and see what I can find. I mean, you can find all kinds of splits, like against left-handed pitchers or against right-handed pitchers or what a hitter does against fastballs versus sliders versus breaking balls versus off-speed. Pit. Yeah, it's, it's really – uh, pretty advanced and uh, pretty cool the way that uh, that that works. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, Borky. Tell me about this Cubs spring training game with Mike Rizzo. Yeah, I'm actually I'm sorry, going Anthony to Anthony Rizzo. I'm actually going to play this for you. I think I've got it uh, where I can. So they had him mic'd up today, but not mic'd up to where they play a couple of cuts coming in and out of commercial break, like as the game's going on. Talking to him on the mic. This is when he's up to bat. And you'll pick up on a few things. One, he tells a pretty good Astros joke. But, uh, th- I mean, this is while he's in the batter's box, okay? Talking to the announcers and thinking through what pitch is going to be thrown to him. I'm doing some math in my head what he's going to throw. What do you got? I have no idea. <laughs> I wish I knew. Someone banged for me. <laughs> Ceiling a heater right here because I've only seen one today from him. Oh, oh, oh. I'm gonna go to her. No, I'm not. Wow, that's good math. Isn't that great? Borky, my favorite part of that is not that he's talking to them while he's in the box. He's talking to them while he's running to first base. Yes. <laughs> I'm gonna go, I'm to gonna go here. for two here. Oh, no, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> Somebody bang for me. Okay, so so let's take this a step farther. Borky, you you love to talk about the uh, baseball dying, and I always counter with no, it's healthy locally, just not nationally. Till you get to the playoffs, would more of that appeal to lots of people? It would appeal to me. I, I mean, the the regular season is just kind of monotonous and long and slow. And if you told me that I was going to hear the thought process of a batter in the box more often, I would be drawn to it more. Absolutely. Real easy to get players to do that in spring training games. Yeah. And, and they could take it to the next level. I mean, have a guy in the dugout. Just, hey, he's probably sitting fastball here. He's seen a couple of breaks. Just somebody else besides the announcers telling me what's going on. And if it's somebody on the field, it just that's so awesome. One hour in the book, Sports Talk Mississippi. Winners and losers when we come back. What we liked and didn't like from the weekend with you. Then we'll get to yours on the C Spire text line. 
Hour with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online, supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us on this Monday. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey, wherever you are. Whether you are in the state of Mississippi or you're out and about or listening to us elsewhere, thanks for joining us. Thanks for making us part of your afternoon. We do this every Monday after the weekend. What did you like? What did you not like? We want to hear from you on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. The C Spire text line, C Spire customer inspired. It's time for winners and losers. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. I'm a loser, baby. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. All right, who wants to go first today? I'll start. Oh, go ahead, Ada. I got one that I, I, I would be willing to bet has never been a winner or winner on this uh, program before. Okay, I'm is, all ears. We're going to go with the Tougaloo Bulldogs and their uh, Howell Trophy finalist, Ladarius Woods, the first ever finalist from Tougaloo College, uh, averaging 21 points a game for the, uh, the Bulldogs, who are 22-6 and six on the season. Coach Thomas Billups, legendary coach of uh, Jackson Public Schools yeah. for a long time at Lanier High School, Lanier. is their head coach. Yeah, uh, he is one of the three finalists for the Howell Trophy, along with Reggie Perry from Mississippi State and Brian Tyree of the Ole Miss Rebels. Who's going to win that? Feels like Perry. Brian Tyree has a Saturday's game might make a statement for that. For that, be honest with you, Tyree goes for forty again. Could be him. Does Perry deserve to win it? I think so. I mean, we're talking about a guy who could be the SEC Player of the Year. I think that that he would deserve to win it if that's the case. He's not going to be the SEC Player of the Year, but he's in the conversation. He is. He is. All right. Well, Brian Tyree's the second leading scorer in the SEC. He is. Both of those guys will be in the conversation. So we'll see what happens uh, Saturday. might be that game. Wow, I forget what year it was, but Moody and Gavin Ware went head-to-head, and Moody had a huge game, and a couple weeks later he was winning the uh, the trophy. Could very well be uh, could very well be the case. Uh, Borky, you had a winner. Yeah, I got a couple. I mentioned it at the top, but LeBron and Zion Part 2 was even better than Part 1. That was just awesome basketball, and, and if you choose not to watch, that's a, that's a you problem because that was compelling sports. But non-sports related, Judge Judy. She's ending her... 25-year run as the premier daytime judge host, making $45 million a year now, by the way. Uh, She is hanging it up after 25 seasons of Judge Judy. She averages 9 million viewers a day. And for context, that is better than major college football games. Almost all major college football games, Judge Judy hanging it up after 25 years. Still a little math here. Judge Judy, by the way, has a net worth of, according to Forbes, $440 million. Um, Borky, she may be making more than that now, this past year, because as of 2013, she was making $47 million a year. She does 52 shows a year. One week. She was making $900,000 per episode of Judge Judy. And on top of that, she sold the library of 
like the episode library for $95 million. She owned the library of episodes? That's what this says. In 2017, she she sold the library of the show's thousands of episodes for $95 million. Good but for it's her. But it's tied up in courtroom drama. I'm sure like the networks or something are involved. Should, but yeah, they she's should the go to owner judge of it. She, wait, wait, never mind. Never mind. That should <laughs> that probably wouldn't work. Conflict of interest. What what was the uh, what was the issue with the sale? Uh, this is a long article if you eh, want me to read enough. through it and find out. But yeah, I mean she she owns the stake in it. Ninety five million dollars she sold it for. Um so yeah. Good for her. Uh Rippy. Mississippi Golf, and then loosely you and I. So, hey, uh, Tupelo native Hayden Buckley made the cut at the Honda Classic, a Mizzou grad from Tupelo, and then Chad Ramey, a state alum from Fulton, Mississippi, got into a playoff on the Web.com tour, came up short, but a second-place finish on that is a big deal. I think he's like 15th in the uh, in the 25 standings right now, early in the season, but 27 years old, a I don't know if that's old enough to be a journeyman yet, but approaching that has really had to grind for everything. And then Sung JM won. He's not Sung from Mississippi. Jay! He's from Korea, but he played a, a pro-am with three fine gentlemen in Oxford, Mississippi, two years ago. Learned how to chip, and our check is in the mail. It was about this time, two years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, April, I think. It was a little okay. later in the year, but uh, you know, he probably wishes he got the chipping lesson earlier. I don't know, but hopefully we get a little cut of that. The uh, the one and only North Mississippi Classic, which was part of the then Web.com tour, which is now the Corn Ferry Tour. Um, it did not last very long, but Sungjae uh, played. Uh, he, he drew the, uh, I don't know, maybe the short straw and had to play with the media contingent. And so it was you and me and Chase Parham, and uh, we had a good time. We didn't have, uh, we weren't great in terms of communication. Uh in so much as he didn't really speak English. Yeah, the the I mean, I'm not a hero, but if you like to call me one, we were crossing the street on that one, and he climbed on the back of the cart, and I was like, whoa, buddy, I'll get on the back. Like, if you fall down, we're in trouble. If I fall down, well, we're okay. <laughs> I'd forgotten about yeah, that. Yeah, and, like, I was trying to communicate with him, and he was like, no, I'll get on the back. I was like, no, man, seriously, I insist. I don't want that on my conscience. Uh, yes, very uh, the chivalry uh, being shown for you for, uh, for Sungjae. But aside from that, two Mississippi natives. I drove him well. on eighteen. Sure, he wasn't laying up. Uh do you normally lay up with driver? <laughs> I don't know. Could have been a punch driver. You should ask him. Come on now, give me credit for that. We've talked about that over and over because that that reaction that will live with me forever. Now that Sungjae is one on tour, I hit it really, really good on eighteen. You did. You outdrove him. And. Uh, when I hit it, he went, oh, <laughs> he just kind of grunted. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I'm taking that as a win. I think I probably made six and he probably made a birdie, but hey, whatever. Drive for show or whatnot. Um, how about the, uh, the Ole Miss baseball team on the, uh, the winner's list? I don't think anybody that follows baseball closely, even the people that were optimistic about the start of this season and thinking, okay, Ole Miss is going to be a little bit better than people are giving them credit for. And, you know, maybe you'd seen them in, I don't know, a bunch of fall scrimmages or in the scrimmages leading up to spring and thought, this is a pretty good team. Maybe you were that person, but even if you were that person, I'm not sure that you would have had them 10-1 and one after opening the season with Louisville, playing in this tournament in uh, Greenville, North Carolina, 
and playing Southern Miss and everything else. I, I don't think there are many people that would have had them 10-1 and one at this point. Probably correct. So they're on the uh, they're on the winners list. What about on the loser side? Borky got a loser from the weekend. Um, yeah, Penn State. Even though this is kind of a winner as well, if you think about it, they uh, the local Taco Bell closed, and a few hundred students gathered outside of the Taco Bell to sing in the arms of an angel and have a candlelight vigil <laughs> while laying flowers at the front door of the Taco Bell to send it on its way. Is this the only Taco Bell in Happy Valley? It must be if they're doing it. I was about this. to say, it's a, that feels like a bigger town that would have more than one Taco Bell. Well, it's not a huge town. It's a big student population. How? Okay. Can anybody explain it's to a me great story, how it is possible for a Taco Bell to go out of business in a college town? Especially a college town the size of, with a student population the size of that at Penn State? How's that I possible? I would get it in it. Vegans. I would get it in a town in Texas or, or Arizona where there are like really great local taco options. But who's making great tacos in Pennsylvania? I want to be introduced to this person. Got to be some internal mismanagement. That's my guess. Yeah. Maybe that's where the iron shavings were in the beef. Maybe that's Look, where it originated from. All I know is there's only one Taco Bell in Oxford, and I happen to frequent it on a pretty regular basis and usually it's after about 10 o'clock at night and i don't go out at night like i'm at my house and like everybody goes to bed and i go i'm hungry and i drive across town to taco bell and i usually get uh two crunchy taco supremes and a nacho supreme with no beans and if i'm feeling froggy i'll get an order of cinnamon twists as well that's my jam and without exception the line for the drive-thru is wrapped all the way around the building. Every day. Every night. Anytime I come home from the hump and drive past Taco Bell at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, lines out to Highway 12. Yes. Yes. I don't understand how a Taco Bell goes out of business in, in college town. At least it got a nice hero send-off. Fire con Dios, Taco Bell. You said they sang what now? In the arms of an angel. <sighs> like from those ASPCA commercials? Yeah. Sarah McLaughlin, right? Yeah. Yeah. That'll ruin your day in a hurry. It will. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. We will take a quick timeout. We will continue uh, continue with your winners and losers on the C Spire text line. 601-879-4395. Let me stand next to your fire. Fun Monday show with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Chris Lamonis will have that conversation that Haydad had with him coming up in, oh, about 15 minutes in our next segment. Also, Mike Bianco will join us live in the 5 o'clock hour. That is at 20 minutes after Five. Continuing with winners and losers, including your winners and losers from the weekend. I've got one, though, before we, we get to yours. Guys, an institution is going away. Now, the institution has actually been gone for a really long time, but even uh, the building that housed the institution. So I don't know if you had something like this or not, but my senior year in high school, Four of my best friends, three of my best, three or four of us, uh, maybe it was four or five of us, every Friday morning before a football game, 
So the Friday mornings, my senior year of high school, we all met for breakfast at Smitty's. It was at 208, 208 South Lamar. Smitty's closed a long time ago, but that was a place where you could do the whole meat and three lunch. They had great bread pudding that went along with lunch. You know, heavy breakfast where it was eggs and bacon and omelets and, you know, everything that you could expect. You know, probably bad coffee, but it was their coffee, so you drank it. Uh, so I got great memories in that particular restaurant. And that building kind of will always be Smitty's to me. It went on to be 208 South Lamar, which was a fantastic restaurant for a while. And then it struggled for the last few years. John Curran's in the process of opening a new restaurant there. And Borky, they were doing some demolition on the building and some remodeling. And you know where I'm talking about? I do, Across, yeah. Yeah, opposite Proud Larry's if you're trying to figure out where I'm talking about in Oxford next to next to Square Books. So they were doing some renovations in there, pulled back some of the old plaster and found brick walls that were crumbling. So like the main support Ooh. of the building. And if you followed along with like construction in Oxford, basically there are no permits for demolition in the historic preservation district. So like the area around the square, forget about it. You're going to have to go jump through hoops and deal with boards and committees. And well, I mean, even if you want to paint something or you want to, you know, change out a window or whatever. So nobody's tearing down buildings. This building is now being torn down and it's kind of sad. Uh, I, I'm not blaming anybody for it, but I think that goes on the losers list. That's like part of my childhood and uh, like my formative years is now going away in the name of progress. I just thought I'd share that story. I don't even know if that deserves to be on the losers list, but uh, I was putting it there. Any other losers before we move to the uh, C Spire tax line? Yeah, I got I got one. Uh, Tell Arkansas it. baseball and Casey Martin. Rough weekend for the Hogs. Uh, they lose all three games in the uh, – I'm not sure. Which one, which one is that in Houston? Is that the Shriners? Yeah, Shriners, Shriners Classic. College Classic. They lose all three games. Casey Martin, one for four on Friday, 0 for five on Saturday, was benched on Sunday. Ooh. And this quote came from uh, from Dave Van Horn. He had a few of these those performances, and there's not really much you can say anymore. It's his battle, and he's got to get through it. I'm probably not going to play him tomorrow. He needs to sit over there and watch. I want to win every game, but sometimes you got to do what you got to do. But this is Casey Martin. Guy's been one of the best hitters in the SEC the past couple of years. Not good. Not a good weekend for the so, so, so some teams in the SEC West, notably uh, Mississippi right. State, uh, Arkansas, and LSU, who was no hit yesterday. I think they were at the Frisco Classic mm-hmm. uh, uh, by Oklahoma. So, hey, Dad, fresh, Casey Martin, as a third baseman, was a freshman All-American. Yeah. Highly thought of and put up just monster numbers his freshman year. As a sophomore, struggled early. Did not play a very good defensive th- shortstop. They moved him to shortstop as a sophomore. But his reputation from his freshman year garnered him so much praise that nobody noticed. And, you know, he's yeah. still on the all, you know, whatever list. And everybody just assumes that it's a sophomore slump and he's going to bounce back. He played better at the end of the year last year, but he was nowhere close to what he was as a freshman. And now going into this junior year, I mean, that's a one-for-nine weekend. He's not hitting well. He's still not playing very well defensively at shortstop. That's a little bit of a mess, and Arkansas you're, fans are beating generous, him up on Twitter. Yeah, you're being generous. He's hitting 182, and he's fielding 897. It's not really good enough if you're going to play the shortstop there, in the Southeastern Conference. 
Suboptimal. There it is. There it is. Rippy, you got a loser? No, I didn't have a good one, so I'll go Long Beach State. They got a no-hitter broken up by a young internet spin in North Mississippi. Isn't that right, hey, Dad? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you ruined it for them. I did. Did anybody did anybody Venmo you some money? I, I tried to help you out on that. No, it's still empty. Did you okay, call yourself an internetsman? I mean, I did it on the internet. I didn't know better now. I like that, internetsman. I have never heard that word before, okay. and I like well, it. You can take it for a fee. Borky Rippy went third person and referred to himself as a young internetsman. Can't decide I like if I like it. that or not. Do we have a bell that we can ding? I mean, creating a new word and talking about yourself in the third person, that deserves some sort of a bell ding. Yeah, that's one man's opinion. Yeah. I'll bring a cowbell for next time. Uh, well, that's the best I got right now. Yeah, we'll right. go rim shot. All right, your winners and losers on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Winner, my wife Kat, for putting up with me as I threw my back out over the weekend. Go, Kat. Loser, my first job was at 208 in that kitchen washing dishes. Going to miss that building. Uh, last loser, Cody Rhodes' awful neck tattoo. It's really bad. Who's Cody Rhodes? He's a, he's a wrestler. Ah, there you go. Um, Michael has Cardale Jones. I'm assuming that is a as a winner, right? I don't I know. see what D.C. did this week. No, they got blown out by that terrible Tampa team, so something bad must have happened. Ooh. Uh, Stewart goes with winner Ole Miss baseball for a great start to the season. Loser Memphis Tiger basketball for continuing to underperform against inferior competition. All that smoke. Imagine doing They're going to get it in the NIT. All the smoke. We're going to get Gary Parrish on here calling us a bunch of nerds. I'm not sure there's a further disconnect than the expectations versus what reality is as a program in Memphis Hoops. Look at what they've done outside of Cal Perry. It's true. Not great. Did Tubby ever make the NCAA tournament? At Memphis? Not at Memphis, no. So their last... Josh made it. Josh Pastner made it what once? Yeah, no, no, no. Pastner made it four times in a row. Okay, and then didn't make it the last year. So their last tournament appearance was early in Obama's second term. We were talking twenty thirteen ish. That's how you would, you know, remember it, isn't it, Rippy? <laughs> it's more to talk about the distance than anything else, but yes. Pastor went. There, there, there are a lot of the ways that you could talk about the distance, and yet that's the reference you that's showed. That's the way I you came up that's with That's the there. point that uh, Mr. Brian Haydad is making. Pastor went six, round of 64 64, back to back 32s, and then missed it two years in a row, but still won 18 and 19 games and got axed, and they haven't been back since. Uh, what, they aren't going uh, this year. Hey, hey Borky, what, what was the Gary Parrish reference? That was me. Oh. What was the Gary Parrish? Parrish will tear you up on Twitter if you talk about Memphis underachieving because he talks about how you know they lost Wiseman and they lost a couple other guys to injury and he's like he'll say uh, you know name another team that's still doing well after losing their three leading scorers and he didn't take too well to it. Why did yeah. they lose Wiseman? Hmm, I can't remember. Because yeah. they were stupid. Oh, that's right. Because they openly admitted they paid paid for him to move to Memphis at the tune of $15,000. That's why they're without Wiseman. Yeah, but they decided to go to bat for him against the NCAA. 
Yeah, some programs or people or whatever get that from the media, and some don't. Lonnie in Guntown <laughs> says, double loser, interceptions and his knee, Landry Jones. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Greg and Nettleton, winner, Sports Talk Mississippi. In the words of the late, great George Jones, there ain't nothing better once you had the best. Real talk, guys. Uncle G loves you. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate that. And I uh, had an Uncle G. Now you, you do? do now. Yeah. Lucas in Union, winner. Mike Trout golf shot over the weekend at Top Golf. Goodness gracious, great balls of fire. He can hit the golf ball. I did see great, that. Great tweet. I forget who said it, but they said, oh, why am I not surprised the guy who has one playoff win is good at golf? Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's a pretty sick burn. That's brutal, man. I love that. Top Golf has the good setup because it's illuminated, so especially at night, if you catch a hold of one, it just looks like it goes further. I'm not saying he didn't crush it, but something about off the second level into like the darkness makes it look cooler. Real quick, one more winner. Uh, Aaliyah Matharu, SEC Freshman of the Week for Mississippi State. She averaged uh, 21 points a game last week. Had a personal 11-0 run yesterday to put that game away for Mississippi State against Ole Miss. Lucas says, loser, my friends and family, for never telling me how great the Texas best smokehouse gas stations in Texas are. He says they're not Bucky's, but, man, that place is amazing. Texas has the market cornered on great gas stations, big cities, small cities. Everywhere you go, you walk in, they're massive, and they're like full-on buffet lines. Sports Talk Mississippi. Hey, Dad's conversation with Chris Lamonis on the Farm Bureau phone line when we return. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us on this Monday afternoon. Big dose of winners and losers today. That was fun. Hey, Dad, let's, uh, before we jump into the uh, conversation with uh, with Chris Lamonis, give me a, 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 a high-level thought about the weekend, Mississippi State, and maybe the week in general. They lose to Texas Southern, bounce back with a win over Alcorn, go to the West Coast, lose the first game, win the second game impressively, and then lose on Sunday to uh, to drop the series to Long Beach State. I think the uh, the biggest thing to me that I, that I see is the the res, the residual effect of the Texas Southern loss and going on the road to the West Coast against a top twenty five team and losing the series. Yeah, you would have liked to have hit the ball better, but that's not a huge, you know, wow, what happened there kind of moment. It's I think people are still bugged by, and they should be because that's a bad loss. That loss to Texas Southern is sort of casting a shadow over everything else and state needs to win a few games in a row i don't know if the weather is going to cooperate with them to let them get that usm game in uh this week we'll have to see but when they play quinnipiac quinnipiac is that right quinnipiac sure yep uh later this week thank you uh later this weekend that that's a team that they're one and eight on the season one and nine i think (laughs) they have not played well you you need you you need to to sweep that series and i hate to say sweep because that's just such a Tough thing to do in baseball. No man, but they state need to needs sweep. to start. Come on, yeah, they, they, state needs to start reeling off some wins here. You got to win all three this weekend. I agree. It's a bad team coming to your place. Weekend rotation. You know, you lose a midweek game. It's a forgivable sin. You're not supposed to lose to Quinnipiac. So we'll see. Let's jump in. Uh, earlier today, Brian Haydad with Mississippi State head baseball coach Chris Lamonis. All right, joining us this week as he does every week, Mississippi State head baseball coach Chris Lamonis. Coach coming off of a weekend, a tough weekend out there on the West Coast, dropped two of three 
to Long Beach State. Obviously, a, a tough week for you, two and three on the week. Just your thoughts about the week in general and the weekend in particular. You know, what 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 does your team need to do to get better? What is your t- what did you see that you liked from your team this week? Yeah, obviously a tough week. I mean, the the loss to Texas Southern on Tuesday kind of started it. Um, played okay against Alcorn State, and we played a really good team in Long Beach State at their field, and they're probably playing as good as they can play right now. So, um, tough matchup for us, but, um, you know, we got some good pitching performances. I thought Christian McLeod was very good. I thought Houston Harding this week was good. Will Bednar. Eric Sarantola was really good yesterday. Um, we're, we're a little funky offensively right now, and, and probably more than offense, I'm a little disappointed defensively in us. Um, you know, it's an area that we have to address because um, we're giving up some runs and some opportunities that we shouldn't be. When you see your team, you know, like you said, a little funky offensively, having some issues defensively, beyond just the obvious stuff of, okay, I'm going to make a change in the lineup or I'm going to make a change in the batting order, what can you as a coach do to lift your team up in those times? Well, I think uh, – the biggest piece is not to lose my mind, you know, is one. Your kids need the opportunity to run out there and play and, and, and play relaxed and play free. Um, we know we have good players, and so uh, you saw on Saturday uh, when our good players played well, man, we were really good. I mean, we, we put together some great at-bats against one of the better starters in the entire country and uh, played well, but we're, you know, we've just been pressing a little bit, so it's not a not a situation where we don't have good players. It's just getting them to be able to relax and play. The next time I see you lose your mind, coach, that'll be the first time I see you lose your mind. I don't think uh-huh. I've ever, don't think I've ever seen angry Chris Lamonis. I'm gonna try to avoid that. To be totally honest with you, if hey, I can. Don't go to class. Don't go to class, and they see it. So. <laughs> well, then I'm glad you didn't know me in my college days. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> there you go. Couple of injuries. We want to get some updates on. We'll start with Tanner Allen. Had to leave the game yesterday with what looked to be a wrist injury after a, a diving attempt at a catch. What's the status on, on, on Tanner? He's just been really unlucky so far this season. Yeah, big blow. Um, we're not sure. He has x-rays this afternoon, and then we'll know a little bit more here in the next 24 hours. But um, probably out for a while now, so I just there was a lot of swelling in the hand. and He just fell. He dove and fell in the hand awkwardly, so we, we don't know wrist, finger. We're just not sure right now. So we'll, we'll know a little bit more here by the middle of the week. Okay, and then, of course, J.T. Ginn missed his second start uh, this past weekend. Is there any update on his status? We don't. He has another meeting with doctors this week, and then we should, we should know a little bit more. So, um, but he won't pitch this week, but he's, just, he's still he's been meeting um, with some specialists. Do you plan to keep the rotation the same, and is there a situation where if you get bad news on J.T., would you consider making a move to maybe move Christian McLeod up to Friday? We're in that process right now of uh, trying to figure that out. We haven't totally made a move, but we're um, we're talking about it, trying to find the best time. Um, we would definitely try to move if that was the case, but um, you know we'll just have to wait and see. And what I, I saw, you know, these past couple of starts from Carlisle Kessler, he looks like a guy who can be an effective starter in the SEC. Has he been impressive even to you from what you've seen from him in these past two starts? He was really good this past weekend. Yeah. He made a uh, – we don't make a play to start the game and give them a little bit of momentum. And then he throws – the only thing he throws – we have first base open in a 2-0 count and he throws a fastball down the middle and they get a base hit. And then after that, I mean, he doesn't give up anything the whole night long. And he pitched with deficiency, 
man, mixed his pitches. I mean, he had them really off balance. Um, that's kind of what he is. That's who he is if he makes good pitches. And so uh, we're, we're excited about him. We have some different options out there. We have a couple guys pitching well right now, so we could go in a couple different directions. A couple of guys who you mentioned pitching well out of the bullpen. To me, Will Bednar and Landon Sims have really been consistent so far this year. Sims had that, that rough first outing, but since then he's been really good. Bednar's pretty much been lights out all season long. Do you feel like your bullpen roles are starting to come into focus a little bit and you're getting an idea of, of who you want to roll out and where? I think so. I mean, we've uh, you know we've had – I think Riley and Spencer have been two of the bigger surprises for me. They've pitched really well also. I mean – Will and Landon, um, it's power stuff. It's really good stuff. And they have, uh, you know, like you said, since Landon's first outing, um, they've gone out there and thrown strikes and competed, and their stuff is just really good too. So we're excited about both of them. And then, of course, this week, you know, big midweek game down in Pearl, taking on USM. You lost, sorry, you won two of three against the Golden Eagles last year. In-state rivalry game should be a big crowd uh, down near the capital city. Just give us your thoughts on the, on the Golden Eagles. What are you expecting to see from them, and who are you throwing out there uh, Wednesday night? Well, we're not sure yet. Um, we're still trying to figure that out since we got back, and we're we've been we're watching all this weather too. So it's um, yeah. you got two pieces there, but uh, you know with their their lineup, and, and they got some really good players in there. You're going to have to pitch and compete. Um, Houston Harding's a guy we got out there right now, trying to prep him for some of these midweek starts. So he'd be a obvious candidate, but we haven't totally decided until we break them down and see where they're at. Well, we'll see what happens uh, Wednesday against USM, and then I'm not even going to. I screwed up the pronunciation on my podcast. If you if you know how to say it, Coach, who you're playing this weekend, hit me with it. But is it Quinnipiac? I think that's correct. So I'm going to try to avoid it at all costs all week long. I'm just going to say that the, the whatever their mascot is, I'll figure that out and go from there. That's good. That'll work. That'll so work. They, uh, they'll be coming in Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so it should be a good weekend. And um, you know they got some. They, they've had a rough start here, but they uh, they played in a regional final last year. Yeah. So I won their league, and and we're you know those mid majors that we're grabbing, we're trying to grab some guys who we think can get some get some wins throughout the year, and so um, we're excited. Uh, hopefully we'll have a good weekend of weather. Yeah, should be good weather and should be good crowds this weekend, especially you know, you got men's basketball with Ole Miss coming in on Saturday. Should be big crowds at Duty Noble uh, for this weekend. Coach, as always, we appreciate your time, and we'll uh, talk to you again next week. Thanks again, Brian. That was Brian Haydad with uh, Chris Lamonis on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. You're, you're really struggling with the team name. You know, it's been a long time since I had a team name that made me struggle like this, but I, I, I'm, I'm having some issues. I'm going to try to get through it, though. Do you know where Quinnipiac is? It's in Ohio, isn't it? Am I right? Connecticut. Oh. Hamden, like... Connecticut. That's a place that I learned existed today. Is that Ivy am... League, Richard? No. <laughs> Quinnipiac is not Ivy League. What about uh, Lafayette? Yes. No. No. Not well, technically? The they pa- just view themselves as Ivy League? They they're must the because, League. yeah. No. Okay. Well, maybe, they, maybe they're an Ivy League wannabe. Yeah, the Harvard of Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you be? Yeah, you couldn't be the Yale of Connecticut because Yale would. Uh, hey, hey they're just, the Bobcats, by the way. Thank you. I'm not sure what the, the struggle is. Like, if you look at it, I'm not. how else could you pronounce it? I don't know, but I'm sure I could find a way to butcher it if I tried. I mean, it's Q U I N N Quinn I E. 
Maybe, maybe one of those eyes is silent. I don't, I don't know. I'm telling you they're not. It's Quinnipiac. You got I, it? I know now. The now Q I know. is silent. Hey, Dad. Quinnipiac. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> is it Quinnipiac or Uinnipiac? Uh, now we're getting into phonetics that I can't get into. All right. Sports Talk Mississippi. Good conversation on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Brian Haydad with Chris Lamonis earlier today. Talk a little bit more about the weekend that was for Mississippi State Baseball when we come back to wrap up the 4 o'clock hour after a quick timeout. Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Some text messages just deserve to be read because. This is one of those. Hit us up on the Ceasefire text line. Ceasefire, customer inspired. Love your show. Try to listen daily. Not sports related, but song related. 8675309. Are the ages of my grandkids with 09 being months? Keep up the good work. There is not a name associated with this text, which makes me sad. You keep up the good work. That's great. That is one of the all-time coincidences, but it's awesome. So, I mean, it's not even in order. Like, I had to kind of, you know, shuffle yeah. around the ages. And I was like, hey, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Of course, also, maybe this uh, this person has been holding on to that text for a while. True. Greg and Nettleton says, hey, Dad, great interview. Love it. And the energy, there's no laps or gaps in that with Coach. Great job. I knew eventually Greg would come around to me. Thanks, yeah, Greg. give it a week or two. He'll come yeah. right back around. Just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. We uh, we enjoy Greg. I, I went into an Ivy League rabbit hole during the break because I was convinced that Lafayette, even though it technically wasn't competing in the Ivy League, was uh, an Ivy League school. Lafayette is what is referred to as a little Ivy. I didn't know there was such a thing. Of course, the Ivy League is made up of Brown, Columbia, Cornell, Dartmouth, Harvard, Pennsylvania, Princeton, and Yale. There are only eight of those, but then you have the little Ivies that are made up of schools like Amherst and Colgate and Bucknell and Lafayette and Swarthmore and whatnot, places that charge a lot of money, and they're really, really small, and they're mostly in New England. But then I also learned that you also have the subset, the public Ivies, and this is like an official designation. The public Ivy League, so this would be public universities that are more like Ivy Leagues in terms of academics. Tell me if if one of these surprises you more than the rest. College of William and Mary, Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, the University of California, the University of Michigan, North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm not sure if that was pre or post basketball scandal, uh, fake classes and whatnot. UT Austin. University of Vermont, and University of Virginia. Is there one school that feels like, oh, I didn't know that? William and Mary, especially since it's just two people. Miami of Ohio. 
Well, yes, that's the one for me. And Bill and Mary are good, though, Borky. I mean, it's in Williamsburg. Historic Williamsburg. Ben Roethlisberger went to a somewhat Ivy League school. Is that what we're learning here today? Somewhat. Yeah. Somewhat. Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. So, a little Ivy. Anyway, that and whatever. Two dollars will get you a cup of black coffee. Small black coffee at Starbucks. Hey, Dad, this this injury thing for Mississippi State. Are, are we trending toward this being a really big deal? Uh, it sounded like so with Tanner Allen when he says, you know, we anticipate him being out for a while. Uh, he, they said they were going to get those x-rays today and, and see what happens. That None of that information has been released uh, to my knowledge. But uh been an unlucky start to the season for Tanner Allen. Obviously, he missed a, a few games uh, after the first one, fouling a, a ball off of his knee, gets back in the lineup, hits an inside-the-park home run. On Saturday, who and Tanner Allen is one of the last guys I would have predicted to hit one of those big ball. Um, I get that, but still, he's not not exactly yeah. a speedster. Um, but then, yeah, just unlucky going for for a, a spectacular catch and looked like he rolled up on his ankle. I'm sorry, his, his uh, wrist a little bit. And now we'll find out if it, if I mean is what, what the injury is. But Chris Lund is right there. You could hear him. He did not sound overly optimistic that we're going to see Tanner Allen back on the field anytime soon. So probably going to be a while on that. You hope it's, I mean, if it's a, a break or a sprain or whatever, you hope that that's a few weeks and not something that's season-ending. A few weeks means, you know, halfway through SEC play, you get one of your leading players back. I'm yeah. just going to say this. I, I, I got nothing to base it on other than just what I think. We've reached the point where I'm really going to be surprised if JT again pitches again this year for Mississippi State. And, and it's not because, oh, he's out two weeks and now he's going to be out a third week. It just, it, I mean, eh, we're getting another opinion and we're getting another opinion and getting another opinion and hopefully we'll know a little bit more next week. And I, I don't blame Chris Lamonis for what he's saying. I think he's saying all the right things. Just feels like this thing is trending toward the point where you're going to be far more surprised if he actually does pitch again than if he doesn't pitch the rest of the year. The fact that he talks about moving the rotation and starting to put McLeod on Friday means that I think they're starting to prepare for that eventuality. Well, man, but week after next, they got SEC play. You don't have any choice. Yeah. So you're at that point now. So we'll see what happens with Ginn. Hopefully, again, hopefully get that information uh, very, very soon. I mean, if Ginn comes back, you can shuffle the rotation again. But you got to get ready for the start of SEC play. And seems like Kessler's the way to go to uh, to begin that here in just a couple of weekends. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi College Football Fix when we return. Be the one to show you the way. You'll be the one to always complain. Clock, Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. You guys noticed uh, if you look outside right now, there's uh, there's still some daylight left? Buddy, yeah. and Sunday it gets a lot better. You just took the punchline, Borky. I set the joke up, and you stole the punchline. Yeah, it's not a joke, though. It's just facts. Yes, I understand that. I was going to say, a week from today, a week from right now, you're going to have two hours of daylight left. And the Lord said, you got to rise up. And I'm looking forward to the summer when it's like 830 before the sun actually goes down. Yes, yes. The uh, the two month window where, uh, when if if you peek out of the studio at five o'clock, 
like during the last commercial break, and it's pitch black dark. Those are the two most depressing, two most depressing kind of windows of time in the uh, in the year. Sports that was talk, the Mississippi. Crazy, uh, Sorry, go, the, go ahead. That was the the crazy thing driving to when we went to Omaha this past summer. Was driving through Kansas at like nine thirty at night, and the sun was still out. It's weird out there in the Midwest, I tell you. Hmm. I played golf one time, and I got off the. 18th tee in Canada at like 10.25. Really? Yeah. I actually got paired in a twosome that lay with the middle-aged German woman that spoke no English. Just me and her. And you guys didn't go off to like 7 or something? I think we went off at 6.40, something like that. That's really pretty awesome. If you're in Alaska in the summertime and you know, it doesn't get dark, or, you know, either doesn't get dark or doesn't get dark until almost midnight? It was quite something. And then like, it was interesting, like, trying to communicate because at one point, one, like, a, there was, like, a wolf or something that came out. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something that could terrorize you. And, like, that would be some time where you would like to be able to be on the same page as the other person, like, came out into the fairway. Who saw it, you or her? Oh, both of us. It was clear as day. What were you trying to communicate to her? Hey, that thing may eat us. Let's stop driving the cart now. She didn't understand. Like, if you looked at her and you went, stop, she didn't understand that? Were you? Or who was driving? You or her? I think I – no, it had to have been her because I was telling, like, hey, let's not get close to that thing. Like, this is not a petting zoo. <laughs> what else do we need to know about the uh, the Canadian golf outing that ended at 1030 in the evening with you and the German lady? It was only that day. I played that course twice. Once it was – my mom had, like, a business conference there, and I – my dad didn't go, so I took a place of like playing in the like like retreat sponsor tournament, and then I had like I don't remember if I won it or I had it. I had a free round the next day, but I was a single, so they paired me with someone else. Mm. Did you look older then than you did in that picture with Sung J M? Well, I mean, I was younger, so probably not. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Monday afternoon. We're glad to have you along. Thanks for joining us, Richard Cross, Michael Borky. That was Brian Scott Rippey and Brian Haydad. Uh, you can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Love to hear from you this afternoon. Right now, it is time for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Ford makes the best trucks in America. Don't believe it? Just look at the numbers. 43 consecutive years. It's the F-150 is the best-selling truck in the United States. You can test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. This story came out last week, and for one reason or another, we did not get to it. And the question on the table is, did Eli Drinkwitz, or Eliah Drinkwitz, if you prefer, the new head coach at Missouri, take a shot at Ole Miss? Borky points out that the aggregation sites have run with the original story by Dennis Dodds at CBS, or Dennis Dodd, rather, at CBS, and have taken it as such, and that Dennis Dodd um, might have kind of egged things along a little bit? What? No. That does not have a history of that. No, yeah, absolutely. In the story, after this quote, and we'll read you the money quote, he added context that I don't think is is actually there. I think people are are taking this quote and running with it, and I I don't hear what people think he's saying at all to me. All right, this was from the story that Dennis Dodd wrote. He was doing a deep dive on Eli Drinkwitz. 
the proclaimed one of Missouri's key advantages playing in the SEC East, climate. Here's the quote. I always think if we play at home versus Florida outside of October, we'll beat them because they're not going to play in the cold weather, period. Sidebar, uh, Florida's one, two of three in Columbia, and also, what? Like, the average temperature, I Googled it, in November in Columbia, Missouri, is 56 degrees. That's not stopping Florida from playing good football. That's not cold. What are you talking about? I went up there Friday in October of this year, and the Friday night was actually pretty cold, but Saturday was not that bad. I mean, it's not the North Pole. I think they'll be okay. Yeah, and once you start playing football, I mean, it's got to be, I mean, in the 20s. Like, anything up north of, like, 35 degrees, and the, the guys are okay, as long as it's not precipitating or whatever. When you're playing football and it's 40 degrees outside, you're fine. Bur- uh, Borky just went with the turn it down into a verb thing. That's more and more common. It's not precipitating. Wait. Oh, whatever. (laughs) Precipitizing. George Bushism. And his recruiting philosophy. Eli Drinkwitz's recruiting philosophy. Here we go. Quote, I don't think you have to do it the way the rest of the SEC does it. Parenthetically, you better or you're going to lose. Yeah, you kind of have to, bud. That's why you're replacing Barry Odom. Close parentheses. Quote, Ole Miss is going to try to do it the way they've always done it, right? You don't have to do that at Mizzou, close quote. And then Dennis Dodd writes this. Take that any way you want, but you get the intimation. This is either a snapshot of the new college coaching market or a backhanded shot uh, shot delivered from the spicy new Missouri coach. Maybe both. You see, Drinkwitz is not going to apologize. Do you get that from that quote? And the uh, aforementioned aggregation sites, one of them being Saturday Down South, that just they just run the headlines, Drinkwitz takes shot at Ole Miss. And the way I read that quote, and also considering he doesn't strike me as a guy that's that stupid to just take a, a, a random shot at the recruiting practices of one of his uh, opponents in the SEC, uh, aside from that logic... That quote doesn't read like he's taking a shot to me. Just trying to picture what the fallout would be if Eli Drinkwitz was the head coach at Mississippi State right this second and made that comment. Be a, be a whole different world, wouldn't it? I, I mean, I'm not trying to take up for Dennis Dodd here, but what else could he be saying? I don't think you have to do it the way the rest of the SEC does it. Ole Miss is going to try to do it the way they've always done it, right? You don't have to do that at Mizzou. See, the way I... I, What else could he mean? That they are going to try to sign elite-level prospects, and I'm not. I'm going to evaluate and sign guys that fit my program. That's how I took it. Why did he do flipping cartwheels down the hall for the four-star kid that he got last week? Believe it or not, it was actually a Um, (laughs) three-star. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah. Nice gold sweater. That didn't make any sense to me because... (laughs) I thought that was fake. I thought that was with the the cameras and stuff. But when he says the rest of the SEC, that tells me he thinks the league star chases and that he doesn't want to do that at Missouri because part of the reason why he doesn't is because he probably can't to begin with. But that's how I took that. I just, I refuse to believe 
that one, he's quoted appropriately to begin with. Remember, this is the same reporter that said Mike Leach took a shot at Lane Kiffin in his press conference, and he absolutely did not take a shot at Lane Kiffin in his press conference. So unless I hear unedited audio, I don't believe he was taking a shot at Ole Miss no matter what. And two, when he says, we're not going to do it the way the rest of the SEC does it, that tells me he's talking, going and trying to sign as many four and five stars as you can I'm going to do it differently and evaluate better and do all that crap. That's how I take that. Time out for a second. I got a question. Hey, Dad, I have a question specifically for you, and I mean this with the highest level of sincerity when I ask it. Sure. Why do you think national college football writers tend to dislike Ole Miss? (laughs) I would actually say it's the other way around sometimes, but – I get what you're saying. I think some of it stems from oh, the NCAA but, but, stuff. Uh, hold on. The Pat Forty and the Dennis Dot. Come on. What I do you think, mean the other way well, around? Well, Dot, 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 I haven't had as much, but Forty and Wolken for sure have taken their shots at you. I think it, it stems back to Freeze and how sanctimonious he was, and people just didn't like that, and they decided to have an axe to grind, and they, they keep on grinding it to this day. Hmm. That's fair. I'm just kind of curious what your answer to that question would be. Yeah, I got you. That's your college football fix. We will uh, talk about this some more if you'd like or move along when we come back. we got basketball to get to and Mike Bianco when we come back on the Farm Bureau phone line. Mississippi with you Monday afternoon in the 5 o'clock hour. Thanks for being with us. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and now on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Ole Miss head baseball coach Mike Bianco. Team went 4-0 and last week. Midweek win against Southern Miss. That was a one-run win. And then swept through the weekend with victories over High Point, East Carolina, and then yesterday against Indiana. Coach, appreciate a few minutes of your time. Uh, all in all, pretty good week for your ball club. Yeah, well, it's it's hard it's hard to argue with four and zero, isn't it? Uh, uh, but the truth is, you know, kind of much of the same that we you know we've been talking, and uh, what I mean by that is, yeah, you know, we've played well. We figured out uh, ways to win games in, in uh, different fashion. You know, sometimes on the bounce, sometimes at the plate, uh, sometimes a timely hit, and uh, it's always a test. I think when you go on the road the first time, especially when uh, you know Saturday night, I thought it was you know our first real road test. Although we played High Point on Friday, it's really a neutral site. It's at noon. Not a lot of people in the fans but but Saturday uh late afternoon you know in Greenville there was 5000 uh pirate fans there and so it was our uh, you know uh, it's it's about as, as uh, close as you can get to hostile until you get to SEC play Mike we were talking about it a couple of hours ago the sample size for for what your teams look like is now big i mean it's a, it's a two decade sample size and this team at least on the surface level, looks different. It looks different physically, and then statistically it looks different. I mean, you're, you're second in the country and first in the SEC in home runs, but the overall batting average isn't very good. Or, yeah, mid-250s or, or whatever. The strikeout number is higher than it might normally be. Your starting weekend rotation has been fantastic. The, the makeup, and that, I don't know if that's even the right word to use, 
Does it feel like it's a different looking and performing team than some of your past years? I don't know. You know, uh, you know. I, I think we have some good statistics. I think we have some bad statistics. Some things we need to work on. And yeah, you mentioned it. I mean, uh, I think uh, even though we we don't talk a lot about batting average to the kids, we talk more about quality at bats, the process, and all the things that you hear us in the interviews. You know, they were all human. You know, we we wish the batting average was higher, uh, but it is higher when it counts. You know, we were hitting, I think, 289 with runners in scoring position. We're about uh, 675 with uh, runners at third base and less than two outs. So what that means is you're efficient, you're productive, you, you set the home run, so home runs can you know, erase a lot of bad at-bats uh, and a lot of, you know, but one of the things that we're really good at is hitting home runs and walking. You know, so we've been able to walk, we've been able to get hit by pitches. So there's games where uh, you may see us get six or seven hits, but with the box score, if you look close, you know, we may have five, six, you know, walks or five walks and three HBPs. Uh, and that's giving you some base runners. You know, we realize that we've, we've struck out too much. We'd like to cut that down a little bit, but I don't think that the strikeout number, not to go, you know, into that debate that pro baseball has, but I, I you know, strikeouts don't scare me unless it becomes your Achilles heel. You know, we don't yeah. need to be the least strikeout team in the SEC. You don't get any awards for that. Uh, but, but, you know, what we don't want it to be is, you know, for it to be problematic where you don't get runners in, uh, you're just giving up too many outs at the plate before you put the balls into play. So, uh, again, I think we have some good statistics. We have some that aren't so good. But to this point, we've been able to do enough to, to be successful. I know you and I had the part, or at least a, a piece of the analytics conversation before the uh, the season began, and it was funny when we were talking earlier today. Rippy was was making the point. He said, "You know, baseball nerds would really geek out on this team because of what you just talked about. I mean, the strikeout numbers don't matter that much, but home runs are up, and on base percentage and OPS, all those numbers are off the charts." Is yeah, that- and I, and I think the you know the the, the thing is. Uh, I think we fall somewhere in between. You know, I, I don't think we're you know, so much into the analytics where you say the strikeout. The strikeouts matter when you strike out with runners in scoring position, when you strike out with a guy at third base and less than two outs. And so there's some other statistics that are hidden. Like I said, you know, what, what's your what, what's your percentage with runners at third and less than two outs? We're at 675. About a week and a half ago, we were about 100 points slow. That so we we've really improved on that. That that's a that's a good thing. Um, again, we walk. We 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 get hit by pitches. Uh, our our batting or our opposing batting average with runners in scoring position has gone down about a hundred points. And so some of the things that we look at and focus on, we've gotten better. And and at the end of the day. You know, that's what you're looking for. Yeah, you know, nobody's winning a championship in the first three weeks. But I'm just proud of the way. We've been able to perform and being able to handle some things. Who is this guy that's throwing for you on Saturdays now? <laughs> uh, well, he was one of the top recruits, and you know, uh, you know, the truth is, it's very, very unfair uh, to judge too many guys on just their freshman year. If you did that, uh, we'd all, you know, uh, be wrong a lot. 
And so, so when you look at Anthony Servidia didn't play much his freshman year. Gray Kessinger hit 190. Uh, so let's be real. Now, uh, this guy pitched uh, on Sunday the entire season. How many freshmen pitched in the SEC in the starting rotation the entire season? So, you know, he, he had some really good outings. He had some outings that, you know, he probably would want to take back. But, uh, again, you, I guess the proof is in the pudding. It's, did, did you get better? Did you improve from that? And he did. He, you know, the two things that, you know, I think we've talked about on the air, you know, in recent weeks is he picked up a slider with Coach Lafferty that's become a dominant pitch for him. And he's been better with his fastball. His fastball's got more life. He's got more command. He's trying to stay out of the middle of the plate, which, you know, I thought last year sometimes it was more high school pitching for him where, you know, when in doubt, I'll just throw it in there and not walk people. And, and, and not that we love walks, but, you know, let's not be scared of walks. He's not a guy that walks people. So let's make sure that we're, you know, on, on the edges of the plate, not in the middle. And he's been able to do that. And I'm proud of him. You know, he's, uh, uh, he looks different out there, you know, certainly because he's having a lot of success. But, you know, he's a great kid. He's always been a great kid. So he's the same guy to us. Gunnar Hoagland, 2-0 on the year, 156 ERA, 27 strikeouts and, uh, and just four walks on the uh, on the season. And then quickly, I mean, Brandon Forsythe, he's got five appearances and has a win and four saves. I mean, you want to talk about production. He, he had a monster week for you this past week. Yeah, SEC Pitcher of the Week. And, you know, the the thing that I will say about Braden is, you know, he's been thrown in the fire. And, uh, you know, we've had some close games, and I think he's been in just about every close game. And, uh, you know, this week just fell into one of those, you know, weeks where he didn't pitch on the weekend. And so, therefore, he was fresh against Southern Miss. Uh, he was able to come out there and get a save there in a one-run game. And then, uh, you know, we, we used them on Saturday and Sunday at back-to-back performances, which is kind of getting them ready for SEC play. And the, the thing that I always say about, you know, Braden is, you know, he, he, he brings the whole toolbox, right? He's not just going with a hammer and a screwdriver, man. He's got all the tools. And what I mean by that is when he shows up, it's his best stuff. I mean, he was up to 94 on Sunday. So that's, you know, pitching less than, you know, probably, you know, 16 hours from the night before. And uh, it was a chilly weekend in, in East Carolina. But, you know, he always has his good fastball. The slider continues to get better. And he looks better, you know, each outing. And he's starting to get some confidence. So that's a good thing for us. I was trying to think a second ago when you, you talked about Gunnar Hoagland starting every week on Sunday for you last year, non-conference all the way through the, the end of the season. How many freshman pitchers have you had that have done that? I mean, I, I think Mark Holloman, if you're going way yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Not many. I mean, like even the great ones and the guys that ended up, you know, on the weekend, guys like Pomerantz and Rollison and Lynn, you know, a lot of those guys started in the bullpen. And, uh, you know, Gunner started from week one to, you know, to the final game. And, uh, um, yeah, I, I don't know that answer. That's an Alex Sims question. We'll have to ask him, <laughs> but not many. And, yeah. uh, and if they, if, if they had, they, they were real good. Yeah. And you may have another guy do it this year with Derek Diamond when it's all yeah. said and done. And you're right. They're very similar. And, you know, Derek's earned it. You know, uh, I've said in the press conference because he didn't pitch well coming back after Christmas. He had a couple tough weekends of inner squads. And now, you know, you can't hide any of that. Everybody knows. And, you know, a lot of the reporters are getting the stats and all of that. Uh, but when you talk about step on campus and from, you know, the first inner squad game till you, you start your real games, 
gosh, you put his numbers up just about with anybody. You know, Gunner, uh, you know, Derek, and probably Taylor Broadway. Those three guys probably have the best numbers of all the inner squad games, and uh, so he's he's earned it because it's the best opportunity to win. And uh, he didn't have his best stuff on on Sunday. Uh, again, another chilly early, you know, eleven o'clock Eastern, so ten o'clock really our time. Uh, but against a really offensive Indiana team, gives up two solo home runs with the wind you know, blowing pretty good out to right field and gets through five innings and hands the ball off. And you know, Probably if it was an SEC game, we would have left them in there. But we had to get some other guys, you know, you know, some, some innings. And yeah. uh, it was the right time. And so he ends up by getting that win. But even though he didn't have his best stuff, he, you know, he pitched you know, certainly well enough to win on Sunday. Mike, really appreciate your time today. All right, guys. Thank you. Mike Bianco, head baseball coach at Ole Miss, joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. We'll be right back. Ripley, was that Mike Bianco embracing analytics and nerd baseball? I think it was a little bit of a concession. But he's right. It's probably somewhere in the middle, which, like I mentioned, you got to be in the you know sixty game season, and sure, strikeouts do matter. But and I'll, I'll be honest. To me, the the major league baseball teams that to me are the most fun to watch are the ones that are kind of somewhere in the middle that aren't like all analytics all the time. Everything they do is analytics driven. I mean, there's still a place for a little feel and a little gut in the game. Now you may roll your eyes when I say that, but. Yeah, I'm just going to take the Astros as the leader in the clubhouse for that one this year. <laughs> Was there still a place for bunting, Rippy? <laughs> yeah, of course. There's always a place for it. In the eighth and the ninth innings? I mean, when si- you get the leadoff man on and you're down one? Situationally. Just depends. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi. You can text us on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Good to have you along this afternoon. Um, let's do the the basketball thing for uh, for a few minutes. This was a big weekend, big weekend, especially for Mississippi State. Hey, Dad, we talked briefly about this at the uh, the beginning of the show. Going on the road, Missouri has been playing their best basketball the entire season, and they take it a notch even above that when they are at home. Uh, Xavier Pinson and Drew Smith, uh, the, maybe the best scoring combo in the SEC in the last month, going for about forty points a game. And Mississippi State has not been consistent this year. And yet on Saturday afternoon, they were good and they were steady and they made big shots when they had to and they were able to hold off a charge at the end. There was just a lot of good there for Mississippi State on Saturday. Yeah, and obviously the big good, if you want to put it that way, is they got the win in a game. You know, Like you said, on the road this year, Mississippi State has been Saying there have been inconsistencies, being sort of being sort of nice about the situation, and just again when you look at the box score, and if you tell me that you know Perry only gets twelve and six, and you're not getting double digits out of out of Woodard, you know Carter with fifteen is nice, but not a big scoring day for MSU. They shot the ball pretty well and, and shot okay at the free throw line. I mean thirteen to twenty, you'd like to be a little bit better there. The the key stat for me is this: I don't know what got into Missouri's brain. That they thought they just needed to jack up this many three pointers, but they were six of twenty nine from behind the arc. Uh, just not a good shooting day uh, for them back there. 
And he got. I feel like if they had been a little more judicious and maybe attacked him issue a little bit more, they might have had a chance to win. They were 13 to 15 off the line, so they were making their free throws. But they were just settling for perimeter shots, and MSU was happy to let them settle to do that. And uh, State did what they had to do to get the win. May I point something out? Yeah, sure. 29 three-point attempts feels like a lot in a game, doesn't it? Well, it does until you look at Alabama, and they realize they've got some games where they take 40, 50. 30 fewer than Alabama took in a game this year. A game that Alabama lost. That they lost, I understand. Yeah, yeah, but it's just yeah, it's a crazy number. So 67-63 the final, uh, 12-6 and six for Reggie Perry. Did that take his season average below full-on double-double? Yeah, he's at uh, 9.7 rebounds now. Ooh, so he needs like a 14-rebound game to get it back up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Nick Weatherspoon, 12 points, no turnovers. To me, that's the yeah. most important thing on the stat line for him. State only had nine turnovers in the game. Nine turnovers total. So... That that's 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 winning basketball for MSU. Again, I, I I mean I don't know that it's really necessary to say this, but Mississippi State had eight players that played, but really they played six. I mean mm-hmm. Molinar got nine minutes, Fizel got two minutes. Maybe those were an important two minutes. He actually got a bucket in the uh, in the time that he was in, and, and that's just probably to give Abdul Adu a break. But Perry plays 34, Adu plays 34, Weatherspoon plays 33, Stewart plays 32, and Woodard plays 29. To be perfectly honest with you, that's pretty impressive to have only basically six guys play, but not to have any of your starters or anybody, period, play more than 35 minutes. Yeah, and that's because you've got some versatility. You know, you can play Perry at the five and let a deuce sit. You can play Woodard at the four or the three. You can play Stewart at the two or the three. You could play Carter a little bit at the three if you need to, if you want to go small ball. So you know, State has that versatility in their lineup right now. And and you're right, to, to, to not have a guy play 35, 36. You know, early in the season, Tyson Carter was playing 38, 39 minutes before Weatherspoon came back. So State seems to have found its rotation. I, for one, would like to see Molinar play a little bit more. He's a little bit more instant offense. You, you see him in the first half, but you very rarely see him do much in the second half. But he was, you know, he had five points in nine minutes. He got to the free throw line four times and hit three or four in those nine minutes. So he's obviously was very aggressive. I'd like to see a little bit more from Molinar, but as far as the front court goes, coming off the bench, man, there's just not a lot going on there with Fizel and Prince Aduro. Those guys are just getting, you know, very short spells on the court when they do play. You would rather be in the bubble conversation than not in the bubble conversation, assuming you're on the on the good side. I mean, right. you, you would rather be firmly in the tournament at this point, but given the alternative, you'd rather be on the bubble. But that makes everything a little nerve-wracking, and it makes the stakes so very high, and every win makes the next game more important. So while, yes, it feels like a broken record, it feels like Groundhog Day, I think you said that earlier, you want it to feel like Groundhog Day because each, you know, a a week ago we were talking about the importance of of the game last Tuesday night against Alabama. And because they won that game against Alabama, it made Saturday huge against Missouri. And because they won against Missouri, South Carolina is even bigger this coming Tuesday night. Yeah, A, a chance for a quadrant one win. That would give State three on the season to go with, I believe, six quadrant two wins. I mean, that as long as they keep winning, you can see, we can keep having these conversations. I really do feel like a loss it, it, this week would would, would be the, the 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 final knockout punch. I do feel like that, but 
I don't know because team other teams on the bubble keep losing and things keep happening and the bubble just keeps seems to keep getting softer and softer. But State's got a tough task tomorrow night at South Carolina. You know, they came in to Starkville a few weeks ago, uh, physically sort of pushed MSU around, especially uh, Mike Kotsar on uh, on Reggie Perry. A duel had to come up with 14 points in that game. I don't know that you can rely on him to score double digits. So if, if Perry gets neutralized again, State's going to have to find some offense uh, from somebody else. Hallen said today it's going to be a war. When these two teams get together, they have – they have typically played very physical games and very close games, uh, and State's going to have to find a way to gut out one more road win before they get to come home to wrap it up. Rippy Ole Miss was dominant on Saturday against Vanderbilt. They led 13-1, to and then they trailed like five minutes after that. They were down 15-13, to but after that, just absolutely poured it on for the rest of the ballgame. Yeah, and it was really a game unlike they've had at any other time this year where you had all five starters scoring double figures, and Brian Tyree had the fewest of those at 11 points. Wasn't a non-factor, but didn't have to shoulder the heavy load that he's had to most of the time offensively. And just They were pretty balanced. It's probably their most complete offensive performance of the season. They had 26 assists on 35 made baskets. Didn't take a ton of threes. They were pretty good, but also Vanderbilt is not. They're not. And, you know, the thing to me that jumps out at Vanderbilt – They've had to have Saban Lee and Scottie Pippen Jr. carry such a big load for so long with the injuries that they've had this year. Vanderbilt, to me, look exa- looked exhausted on Saturday. Like, like I'm not used to seeing – I say that because I've seen Vanderbilt so many times this year. I'm not used to seeing Saban Lee not finish those shots at the rim – he missed a bunch just at point-blank range, especially early in that game. Ole Miss's link bothered him a little bit, too. Ole Miss entered mm-hmm. the day last in the SEC in block shots. I think they had six or seven somewhere in that range. So I think C did a good job. Uh, <laughs> so so I, I'm thinking back to the one where Bryce Williams went up and just absolutely swatted, ripped it away from Eduke Obina, who's the biggest guy that Vanderbilt's got. What was that guy's name, Hey, Dad? Richard just said it. You didn't catch it. Got it. Okay. Anyway, but Sammy Hunter had a couple well of good ones, <laughs> good ones there as well. And yeah, I mean they played pretty well. It was one of their better offensive performances this season. They bothered Vanderbilt in the lane. Fatigue probably had something to do with that as well. But you know, for a team kind of playing out the string, good win. Yeah, and and for Ole Miss, I mean, you, you look at what's left this week: Missouri at home, a uh, team they lost to on the final possession a couple of weeks ago, and then the road trip to Mississippi State. I mean, I guess in terms of what you're playing for, you're playing to right now not have to play on Wednesday night to give yourself the best chance to try and make a run in Nashville. Yeah, I would say that's pretty accurate. I mean, there's, I mean, that's really all you can do at this point. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if you want out and made a run. I was pointing out earlier I'm not exactly a Joe Lenardi when it comes to making the NIT, but that appears pretty pretty uh, long long way away at this point. Yeah, because, I mean, it's gotten harder to get into the NIT. Right. Because so, you, yeah, any, any conference champion that doesn't get its league's automatic bid and doesn't make it to the NCAA tournament gets an automatic bid into the NIT. I think and, that's a good rule. Because, I mean, what it, it stinks for those conferences that you're literally just playing for seeding all year. Yeah. That's a good point. Kentucky has uh, has won the regular season in the SEC. You've got Auburn at eleven and five. Same thing for LSU. Then Mississippi State and Florida both at ten and six. Hey, Dad. Mississippi State currently sits as the four seed going into double the buy. SEC tournament. That's a double bye. They wouldn't play until Friday. Straight to the quarterfinals. Yeah. 
And you don't think that is necessarily the best thing? I mean, they might need an extra win. I don't know. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.